There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Vultures of the world, and a very warm welcome to this edition of Book Off. I'm Joe Hallow, and for the next 40 minutes or so, I'll be trying to keep up with the two incredible brains that are sat opposite me. One of those brains belongs to a former magistrate and now a full-time author who last year set up a creative writing scholarship, and the other brain resides in the head of a man Booker Prize long-listed author who was cited by Granter as one of the best new writers under 40 back in 2013. And the sickening thing is. He's the same age as me. Kit DeVault, Ned Bowen, welcome to you both. Hello. Hi. Welcome Hi. to Book Up. How are you doing? Good, good, good yeah. Well, you two haven't met before, I don't believe. This is a, a first meeting of us three together. Absolutely. But you have been reading each other's books, which I think is a lovely thing. Yeah. I've, I can't even remember the name of your book, but I could tell you the entire plot. Um, I loved it. It was hilarious it's certainly not the sort of book that I would read normally because it just looked thick and dense and I read sort of short things and first page I was like oh this is great and then I know I'm reading a good book when I'm laughing and my son's saying can you shut up I'm watching Hollyoaks Uh, and I'm like sniggering and oh you know making a noise really sort of physically involved in it I absolutely loved it and also it reminded me of Scoop do you know oh, yeah. Scoop by Evelyn Waugh? I love Waugh, yeah, yeah. It has that feel of it, that sort of sardonic, what's going to happen next, we're on a bit of an adventure, it's all going wrong. Fantastic. Did you get one of those uh, beautiful, shiny proofs of the book, Kit? The, the I silver did. style. I yeah. did, beautiful. You should be happy with that, Ned, I would have thought, the design of that. Yes, I am, although I love the actual cover even more. Oh, I haven't so, seen that yet, though. Oh, it's really cool. And you have read Kit's book as well? Yes, I have finished it, unlike some people I could, <laughs> I could mention. I read the whole thing, cover to cover. Uh, and yeah, likewise, I enjoyed it so much. And it, also, likewise, it's not my usual kind of thing. I don't read that many books in the genre that I think of as people having feelings. Yes. Like, <laughs> most of the novels I'm into are not really about people having feelings. And this was a novel about people having feelings, but I found it hugely rewarding and really touching and funny and oh, vivid. wow. Yeah. Thank you. And of course, I should say, what we're talking about is uh, My Name is Leon is, is your debut novel, Kit, and Madness is Better Than Defeat oh, is, is your fourth book. Such a good title, yeah. Yes. Uh, Ned. So you probably started writing at a pretty early age if you're, if you're 32 and, and this is the fourth novel about to be published in August. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I, I started writing fiction, if that's the word for it, when I was probably five or six. But I mean, I started seriously trying to write a novel when I was about 15 or 16, I suppose. And did you achieve it? Well, eventually. I mean, not right away. <laughs> not, not, not that draft, though, necessarily. The, the, my eventual debut, Box of Beetle, yeah, that came out in 2010. I finished it in 2008. So I think I started in about 2006 when I was 21. Yeah. Wow. But you grew up around books as well, didn't you? Yes, that's right. My family is dripping with books. Um, <laughs> my mum and my aunt and one of my sisters and one of my brothers and a few of my grandparents and my dad's first wife all have books to their names. Yeah, oh, That's a pretty big lineage. That's a big grin <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. So did you feel any pressure to go into the into the book world. Or... No, because there there are members of the family who have who well, I won't say who haven't published a book who are yet to publish a book. So it is acceptable to go through life without <laughs> publishing a book. Um, and also we've we've managed to we're all in different genres. Hmm. None of us are in direct competition, which I think is an amazing feet although it is going to make life difficult for the next generation because there aren't many genres left at this point <laughs> and kit but you had you know a long career first before writing your mm-hmm. first book so did you always know you wanted to do it or is this something that that came so later in no. life no and contrary to your experience i grew up in a house of no publications um well there was the news of the world in our house there was also the bible two great classics and that was your reading matter there was nothing else my parents didn't read both my parents were immigrants to the UK and they were just working 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 so I read at school and it was the sort of reading where you know I do two pages Debbie does two pages Sarah does two pages where you've just lost it you only read your two pages the rest of the time you're you know carving your name into the desk so I never read at all up until probably 22, 23. And then I started reading as an antidote to taking drugs and getting drunk, should we say, as I so don't swear. And I said to my boss at the time, I was working uh, for a lawyer, and I said to him, just give me 10 books, 10 books. Just write down any 10 books because I've got to have something to do in the evenings. And he was a sort of military man, and he gave me his 10 books, which was The Siege of Krishnapur, uh, three men in a boat. You know all the yeah, you know the right. genre that he loved, but I loved them, and that was it. I was absolutely avid reader, completely undirected. I left school at sixteen, so I was literally reading what I wanted to read, and the only way I would know what book to read is I went to the then Dylan's pre Waterstones, and looked for a Black Spine because they were the Penguin classics, and I yeah. thought. They're good books, they are, all of them. So I literally just went through the black spines and probably read 200, 300, Mm -hmm. maybe more. But I would read, I'd find an author I loved and I'd read everything by the author. So I found Arnold Bennett, everything, Graham Greene, everything, Flaubert, everything. And then I found out Flaubert knew somebody else. I'd read him, I'd read him. It was fantastic, but didn't really want to be even think about being a writer till I was forty-two. Yeah. No, forty-five maybe. That's when you actually started, I guess. Was it? I started That's when you sort of... with three, with two terrible, terrible, terrible novels, um, 
and then at 52 went to uh, d- did a creative writing MA hmm. and then wrote Leon when I was 55 it got published when I was 55 it's a, it's a brilliant journey though for you and, and Ned when do you remember that experience of, of your first novel being finished and then the agent and the publishing deal and then what comes after you what was that like for you that journey well I got an agent when I was about halfway through before Box of Beetle I had written a previous novel called The Martyr Street Theatre Company which I was very happy with at the moment I finished it but swiftly became disillusioned with (laughs) but that one um I sent out to quite a lot of people, including my current agents, and nobody was interested. And then Box of Beetle was sort of the opposite of that, um, in that, yeah, my agent took me on halfway through, and then we got a deal quite soon after sending it out. So when I tell people that, they look at me with disgust like I've never experienced rejection <laughs> in my life. But there was an entire novel before that that I worked on for years that I didn't get anywhere with. So I know, like, I do know what rejection is like. It just happens that Box of Beetle went extraordinarily smoothly. Yeah. yeah, and did great guns as well, didn't it? Yes, I was very lucky with the reception of that. Yeah, yeah. it was fantastic. Kit, I want to just talk a, a little bit about your scholarship, if yeah. I may, that you set yeah. up last year, because obviously you said you did a creative writing MA, and this is a creative writing scholarship. Yeah. And it's obviously something very close to your heart. Yes. So just how, how is that gone so far? In, in... Um, it's been great. Um, I set it up really because I come from a marginalised background, and... The idea of university in my family was, well, nobody went to university. Not my parents, grandparents, cousins, uh, aunts, uncles, no one on my street. You know, it was not spoken of. It was the assumption, and I'm talking about the 70s, Mm. that you didn't go to university. I mean, you could. Obviously, back then there were grants and all that kind of stuff. But it was just a word that was never even said in my uh, home. Not that I think I've missed out, to be honest. I think I would have just literally been drunk for three years. I'm sure lots of people are, (laughs) but I would have really made a mess of it. Um, So I'm glad I went when I did. But I know that for some people, doing uh, creative writing or doing anything at university is is now so difficult um, because of the cuts in education and also just because the assumptions we make about who we are. Mm. So I really, when I got my deal it was more than ever I expected to get and I just thought I actually wanted to call it's called the kids of our scholarship but I actually wanted to call it the fat chance scholarship because I having loved doing my MA have said to people look you know it's really great even if you don't get published or anything find something you love and you know do it and they've gone fat chance how am I going to get that sort of money together but anyway they wouldn't let me call it the fat chance scholarship and we had I don't know, 135 applicants for this one place. In the end, we managed to get enough money so that there were two scholars, and I met the one of the scholars about two days ago. And unbelievable, you know, just mm. a fantastic guy who, you know, spent the first 20 minutes saying how grateful he was, which is really embarrassing. And I said, you've got to stop that now because it's over, and I'm just going to talk to you about your writing. It's, you know one of the best things I've ever done it's yeah. it's great and it's humbling really humbling to see the talent out there that 
would otherwise not see the light of day. And lots of people I said no to who are not doing a creative writing MA and will struggle. Yeah. And that's running through Birkbeck University. Yes, it is. Yeah. And you're going to track the progress, I guess. I am. And we're doing it again in September. I did only ever intend to give them some money and walk away. And since starting it, I realised, you know, you can't do that. Mm. You've actually got to put yourself into it. It's not about a cheque. Yeah, and also now having met, you're invested in the journey. Completely, completely, yeah. yeah. And he's going to go on to do great things. He's a young man, a boxer, ex-boxer, difficult background, Mm. fascinating writer. You know, he stood out. He really stood out. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to seeing what comes out of that. Madness is Better Than Defeat. It's quite a complex book, Ned. It's, it's It's a big undertaking with these sort of two rival expeditions and the plots that... Entwined was it? Was it a hard one to write? No spoilers, please. Yeah, no spoilers because no Kit hasn't I'm finished. I'm nearly it yet. there. <laughs> well, so at one point the novel was set across two different parallel universes, and in addition to the kind of two intertwined conspiracies in the current novel, there was a third one. So there was a time when it was an order of magnitude more complicated than it is now. (laughs) That was quite hard to keep it all tied together. But once I rationalised it after a bracing conversation with my agent when I was about halfway through... Writing a book that is set in a mere one universe with only two globe-spanning conspiracies felt like a relative cakewalk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. And I think we were were talking about it just before this. There's this love that comes through of the golden age of of cinema and and movies, especially those big old American movies. Was it always your intention to write something around that era? Well, the book draws a lot on... Fitzcarraldo and Apocalypse Now. Um, So I suppose I could have said it in the 70s or 80s, but yeah, I thought if I'm going to write a book about Hollywood, I would rather write it about the screwball era because the book is a comedy. I thought if I'm going to write this comedy, for me, comedy has never reached such heights as the kind of Cary Grant... Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, Jimmy Stewart era. So so that's why the book begins in 1938, which I think is the same year as the Philadelphia story, which is my favourite comedy of all time. Oh, it's just, well, it's wonderful, isn't it? Great. And you're a fan of that era as well, Massive Kit, aren't you? Massive fan yeah. of classic movies. Um, I, lo- I do like the screwball comedies, and I agree with you about Cary Grant, who's just the master. But I also like Jerry Lewis, that sort of uh, screwball, and also the Marx Brothers mm. and Charlie Chaplin. I, w- I watched a sketch the other day with Buster Keaton in it, and it was about a hat. Have you ever seen it? I don't think it's so. It's no. literally Buster Keaton trying on different hats. It's probably a, a you know three-minute, four-minute, and it's genius mm. storytelling. It's storytelling in complete silence. It's fantastic. So, yeah, completely love all the eras of, of Hollywood up to yeah. about 1980, when I think possibly things like Flashdance came out. <laughs> that's not your bag. Yeah, that's not no. my bag. <laughs> but I, I personally, I'm fascinated by that Hollywood scene from, from all eras, the film business now, but also back then. Did you go over, did you sort of use it as a, use the novel as a reason to go and sort of do research and, and live a bit of that Hollywood lifestyle? No, not this time, because my second novel, The Teleportation Accident, was also set in Hollywood, well, partly set in Hollywood in the 
early 40s so I went to LA for the first time to research that one so I went to a lot of the places then for this one if I was going to go anywhere I should have gone to Honduras because most of the novel is set in Honduras but I just didn't I was just too lazy (laughs) in the same way that Glow my third novel was quite a lot about Burmese freedom fighters and I just never quite got around to going to Burma <laughs> I'm a really slovenly researcher and just just didn't do it just but you it. can really rely on YouTube I mean let's be honest yeah. I did loads of my research on on YouTube oh yeah yeah, yeah. because uh, you can get a lot from Google it. Street View totally and, yeah, yeah Google yeah. Images yeah Oh, I see the authors I don't know. need to travel that much anymore no. you know for their research but a good excuse I'd imagine to put on some classic Hollywood movies at home and just uh, relive a bit of that era. Yes, although by the time I started writing the book, I feel like I'd seen nearly all the really good ones. Although, actually, I watched Vivacious Lady in the course of writing a book. That's a minor Jimmy Stewart, but it's really wonderful. And then if you go back to the very beginning of the sound era, stuff like Trouble in Paradise I saw for the first time, which is another one of the greatest comedies ever made and that was made within about 18 months of sound cinema existing and they just nailed it already it's like mm. the 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 remaining i don't know what is it 90 years of filmmaking didn't really need to happen because <laughs> someone gave them sounds they worked out all the best stuff that you can do with it and then this film happened it's extraordinary <laughs> And it's also interesting that in the the golden age of cinema, they had to rely on storytelling. They had no special effects, well, rubbish ones. They had no sex. Mm. You know, there's so much they were prevented from doing. Kisses had to be chased. There were no double beds. So they had to rely on storytelling. They had to infer so much or the stories had to be so strong that they didn't need bells and whistles. They didn't need the big explosions. And I think that's why some of those films endure to this day as being masterpieces, Mm. absolute masterpieces. Well, although Trouble in Paradise, it was before the Hayes Code, so you were allowed sex then. Well, obviously you couldn't have, like, penetration on screen. (laughs) But, I mean, it is, like, dripping with eroticism and innuendo. And then also, I think King Kong was around then. Some of the special effects in King Kong still look a lot better than the special effects in, like, Wonder Woman. Must have been astonishing at the <laughs> I time. I haven't seen Wonder Woman. I think it's that's special that, that. Some of them are shoddy. Some of the <laughs> green, green screen work in oh that dear. compared to King Kong, the oh original wow. King Kong. Have you ever thought that one of your books might get turned into a film, or have you ever even considered writing a screenplay? Well, I've sold the rights to my first three books, but none of them seem to be happening. <laughs> like, th- there is absolutely no activity regarding any of them. Oh, actually, that's not true. But Box of Beetle, I think, is it has just started being developed. But, like, yeah, I have also written two screenplays myself. And once you go through all that... It, it becomes impossible to believe that anyone ever succeeds in making any film like once you've seen it from the inside. So Glow is dormant, the teleportation accident is dormant, Box of Beetle is in development, and, you know, I wish it the best, but, like, how anyone can can actually drive an idea all the way th- through that process to having a film at the end, I can't even imagine. Yeah. 
I mean, like you say, it's a, it's something we cut. We we only think about. Oh, someone writes it, then someone films it, then it mm. gets put out on the cinema. Simple, but it's it's a bit more complicated than that behind the it's scenes. It's about convincing it? people. It's about convincing dozens and dozens and dozens of powerful people or rich people <laughs> that this is a film that should exist, and they all they all have to agree with that at the same time. Like, it can't be staggered. You have to you have to synchronize the confidence of dozens and dozens of people, and and that is. It's quite a balancing act, yeah. I imagine. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, Kit, let's just talk about Leon very quickly because I, I feel like we've talked talked about it a lot, you and I. But yeah. for anyone who who hasn't, just just give us a little taster of, of Leon and and the, the style of book because, like Ned was saying, you, you it's a it's a book about emotions, but it's also quite. Humorous, yeah. I think it's. I mean, there are certain scenes in there that I think are hilarious. People going, "I was crying." I was like, "Really? That's how bad my childhood was." Um, It's about Leon, who is nine, and the book opens with him meeting his baby brother, who ultimately and very shortly in the book goes in, gets adopted, and Leon goes into care and loses contact with his baby brother. And the rest of the book really is about Leon finding his way in the world. And, and finding some peace in that. It covers a very short period of time, sort of three months, where he learns to live without him, although we don't know that he's going to learn to live without him because he finds various people to befriend him. And it is... I never, ever intended it to be a book about emotion, ever. <laughs> um, I thought it was... I didn't. It's not even coming of age. He doesn't actually come of age. He moves from one sort of knowledge, one base knowledge, knowledge base to another knowledge base. But he doesn't really come of age. And I really thought it was just a small story about a world I know very well through mm. my work. And I thought social workers would read it, and foster carers would read it. And you know, if I sold a hundred, that'd be great. Mom has to buy five, obviously. And I was. I've been really surprised. A, that people didn't know the world, because I actually thought people knew about children in care and what it's like for them, and I've been surprised that they didn't. And also just the reception that the books had and how people have uh, taken Leon to their hearts. And obviously he's a real child to me. You know, he's not a real child, but to me 
I was worrying about him throughout the book. Yeah. And that was 1980s Birmingham. Yes. Um, that book was written with... Uh, one of the things I did in the book is made sure that the words that I used in the book were only words that Leon would have ever heard. So there's no word in there that Leon wouldn't know and understand mm. apart from when there's a psychologist's report and then that's in quite adult language. The rest of the book, I had to really work on being nine and not using complex language nor sentence structure. And so with the second book, I've been able to really, you know, be an adult and, and write very, very differently. Um, and it's about a woman uh, two days away from her 60th birthday who reflects on something that happened to her when she was 19 and she's determined to put it right. No more than that can I say. Oh, that's it, is it? That's all yes. we're getting. Okay. Yes. Well, you, you know why you're both here, right? The main event is Book Off, where you both have to pit a book that you love against each other. I've been very careful not to say favourite book because I think that's impossible. Yes. But when I threw it out there... You you were struggling, totally. Kit, weren't you, to think of just one that you should be championing that everyone should read. Totally. How many did you have to narrow it down from? Um, oh, narrowed it down from probably 30 to 10. And right. then <laughs> got it down to two. And um, one of them, I could understand someone saying to me, I don't think, you know, I could understand what someone might object to about it, even though I think it's a work of genius and fantastic. Mm. But the one I have chosen, which I won't say... I think anyone that doesn't love this book has got something wrong with them. Do you know what I mean? It's like I wouldn't take any criticism of it at all, ever. It's almost perfect to me. If not perfect, I'm struggling to say almost, actually. I feel slighted by the word almost in that mm. sentence. So wow. I, I love it. Okay. I love it. Wow. So you've, you, you're pretty confident you're, pre- and you, I'm pretty you're, you're confident. happy with your I'm so choice. happy with my choice. And Ned, how did you feel when I went, oh, by the way, mate, you've got to bring a a book that you absolutely love and you've got to talk about it and it's the, the whole point being that, you know, it's it's something that everyone should read. Was it an easy choice for you or a hard decision like it? Well, I have a terrible recall for books that I've read, so I knew it had to be something I'd read relatively recently, <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't be able to talk articulately about it. So my one definitely isn't my favourite book. It's just, it's a book I could think of that... I got the most out of that the fewest people have read, probably. I've never had the opportunity to discuss this book with anyone. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it at a bookshop. I, almost nobody has heard of it, I think. So I feel like I'll be doing the maximum good, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, by, by publicising it. And it's also a bit therapy for you to, to be able to talk about it for three minutes, I guess, as well. Yeah, I suppose so. Therapy's the wrong word. You know what I mean? Uh, a release. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, well, we're going to get to that very shortly. What are you both, before we do that, what are you both sort of reading at the moment? Kit, I know you've been writing, so that yes. I don't know if that precludes reading. No, no, I read all the time, all the time. I've just finished Sebastian Barry's uh, Days Without End. So horribly good, it could make you want to give up writing completely. <laughs> and each book of his is better than the last. And I've similarly just finished Lisa Harding's um, book called Harvesting. And it's about the joyful subject of sex trafficking. But it's really, really well done. And it isn't grim, although obviously the subject matter's grim. Mm. Um, But it's just such a well done book. And it's written by someone who used to work with sex trafficked girls. And this is about two girls that meet 
and there are funny moments in it, but it is it's also quite a tragic book and it's a pretty hard read, but just well written, very, yeah. very well written. Ned, what about you? Do you um do you have a specific genre that you like to read or you do do you sort of dip dip all over the place? I dip all over the place. Um at the moment I'm reading Moving Kings, which is the new novel by Joshua Cohen, who is a genius writer who I know a little bit and also in preparation for starting my next novel I am undertaking a little project of reading mid-century British travel writing so um, I've just finished A Dragon Apparent by Norman Lewis which was an absolute joy and I'm preparing to dive pretty deep into Patrick Lee Fermer after that. Wow. Norman Lewis wrote Naples 44 right? Yes, I'm really looking forward to reading that. Oh, you should absolutely read that. That oh, is a. Wa- I haven't read that. Well, it's just Naples 44 is sort of diary entries. Oh wow! Uh, but they're almost like short stories. Each one is like a fantastic. A short story. It sounds so good. And it's so of the time, uh, and but so brilliant. You know that you, yeah. You, I just brilliant. I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. So that what's the title of that one again? The, the other? A dragon apparent. A dragon apparent. I'll write that one yeah. down. Because after after reading that um, that Norman Lewis recommended to me by Brian Eno, oh. actually just wow. oh, clack clack, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he had it he had it clutched to him when I when I saw him recently and he was saying oh I've been told I had to read this and I so I picked it up and just couldn't put it down so I thought well if Brian Eno says if it's good, good I'm going to read Brian it Eno. and if Ned Bowman says that one's good I'm going to pick it up as well um, okay to the book off then let us go. You've both picked very different books, very different books, which is which always makes it really interesting. Uh, yours kit is fiction, and yours is non-fiction. Then, what have you chosen to this this perfect book? I have almost. chosen The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. Wow, a, a, a big choice, which is from nineteen eighty nine. Yes, think I think so. Won the Man Booker Prize. Yes. Turned into a film. Turned into a film. Okay. Very well done, actually. Right. Yeah, very well done film. Okay, and, and Ned, what's going up against this? I've chosen a book with the extraordinary title of The Conspiracy Against the Human Race, A Contrivance of Horror by Thomas Ligotti. <laughs> <That's a brilliant laughs> wow, title. what is the title? <laughs> and Thomas, Thomas Ligotti is a, is a horror writer. Yeah. And this is from 2010, and this is his first non-fiction book. Yes, I think so. Okay, right. So, in order to... I hope I've got a coin in here. I do. We've got to decide who goes first, and we've got to decide who wants a bell and who wants a horn. Okay, so, uh, Kit, you get to call it heads or tails. Heads, please. It's heads. Would you like first or second? I will have first. Right-o. And And I'll have a horn, please. You'd like a horn. Okay, we're going to start your time. So, you get three minutes, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to use them all. If you oh, feel like you okay. can, if you feel like you can say all you need to say, to winners over, in under three minutes, that's fine. But when you get to three minutes, I'm going to stop you. Okay. All right? Over to you. Three minutes, Kit, on the remains of the day by Kazu Ishiguro. Okay. So I don't think I have to go over the story because I think most people will know it or know of it. It's a a book about love, and self deception. It's a very particular story. Um, about a butler who you know in a country house but it's also a story that we all relate to because we all miss opportunities this man particularly has spent his life missing opportunities he's buttoned up literally and figuratively in this suit and he never 
lets it go. He, I mean, the book is told uh, in the voice, in his voice, first person, unreliable narrator. And all the time we're reading about him, we're thinking, you know, it's the sort of person you want to shake and say, turn around, look at her, don't do this, or more likely do do this, because he's constant. it's a book about restraint. It's written in this beautifully restrained, beautiful language. It's also a book highly relevant to today because it's about class. He thinks he knows where he should... I mean, it's, it's an abject lesson, actually, in the dangers of thinking you belong anywhere in the class structure. So he thinks Lord Darlington, his boss, knows so much more, is so much better, is wise, is perfect, and follows him down to an absolute dead end, to absolute disgrace... At the same time as he's doing that and following his boss, this is this is this book happens between the wars. There is someone under his nose who loves him, and she's—I wouldn't say putting it out—that's possibly the wrong phrase—but she's letting him know all the time through these tiny little things that she does and quite obvious things. And he's shutting it down. I'm not looking. I'm not seeing it. And he misses this opportunity to be happy. He misses this opportunity to confront who he is and accept that he has feelings. The book actually starts with him as an older man saying, you know, I've been making some mistakes recently and I've realised as butler of Darlington Hall, it's because I haven't got a really good staff timetable. And you know from that moment you're going to meet someone who cannot confront the bigger issues. And the last bit of the book... Um, probably the last five pages, I got to on my first reading of it, I've probably read it five times, and I closed it because I thought, no, 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 it can't go this way. It's called The Remains of the Day because all he has left is the remains of his life. That What actually happens is that he's sitting on a pier, the lights come on, and he says, all I've got left... All anyone's got left is the remains of the day, a point at which you've got to make the best of what, what's happened to you. <laughs> oh, just, just very in good time. timing. Just in time. Well done. That was a fantastic pitch, Kit. Well done. Um, have you read it, Ned? Yes, and I have absolutely no argument with that. It is a perfect book, which yeah. everyone should read. Great. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's good coming from the competition, isn't it? Uh, Ned, what would you like, a, a bell or a horn? I'll have the bell, please. OK, mate. No problem. Uh, and it's time for your three minutes. Again, you don't have to use it all if you don't want to. Three minutes, Ned, on The Conspiracy Against the Human Race by Thomas Ligotti. OK, so The Conspiracy Against the Human Race received a small measure of fame a couple of years ago because Nick Pizzolatto, the creator of True Detective, drew on it very heavily for some of the thornier Matthew McConaughey dialogue. Um but regardless of what you think of True Detective or whether you've seen it, the book is definitely worth reading. His horror stories are really good as well, but this is his non-fiction book and it's a kind of manifesto of pessimism. So pessimism in this context is saying, well, most accounts of the human condition end up basically concluding, look, things can be tough, but we should still be happy to be alive because it's all worth it in the end. And pessimism is saying, 
what if it's not though <laughs> what if it would be better not to have been born what if it would be better if no one had ever been born what if sentient life is just a terrible horrifying mistake from the beginning and especially in the english speaking world people's instinctive reaction to that kind of thinking is to say to just laugh it off to just be like oh cheer up eeyore someone got out of bed on the wrong side today but i think any argument is worth taking seriously if it's made compellingly enough and ligotti is both a very rigorous and wide-ranging but also very stylish and kind of addictive philosopher and it sounds like it would be extremely dour and it's true that he never cracks a smile but it is nevertheless very very funny it's got a it's got a deep deep vein of dark dark comedy in it um and also it's good for literature lovers because he talks a lot about like lovecraft and conrad and tolstoy and borges and stuff and we read a lot of books that are described in reviews as thought-provoking but i most of them just make like little kind of shadings or tweaks to basically a set of values that we all already agree on and it's rare to read one that is so different so rebellious that it's just like countering so intensely everything that we're all supposed to think and for that reason i think it's really worth reading overall the experience of reading this book may make you wish you'd never been born and <laughs> i can't really think of a higher term of praise for a book than that very good oh, what a way to go out on as well Fantastic. blimey sold with true detective i have to say Fantastic. you a fan massive of the mm. first series massive fan Blimey, what a choice. I know, that's a tough one. Which is better, fiction or non-fiction? Yeah, well, this is, you know, it's it's almost like I'm deciding between the two, isn't it? Um, I love those pictures and I love them because of uh, how passionate you are about both books, but also how how much you wanted to draw us in to want to to, to hear those stories. Have you read any Thomas Ligotti? I have never heard of it, but I absolutely love that concept of someone not subscribing to the it's all going to get better and isn't life wonderful because Mm. life is actually really shit for a lot of people for a lot of the time from the minute they open their eyes and I think we really in the West don't acknowledge that enough we're very inward looking or we absolve that feeling by giving to charity or whatever or putting a like on Facebook Mm. but actually life is pretty shit and it'd be interesting to read that although I may want to slash my wrist afterwards or <laughs> run away yeah. somewhere you know, run off a cliff but I, I think that's a, a very good argument for reading well it. there's a whole section on whether if you subscribe to his arguments are you then logically obliged to kill yourself yes, and yeah. he says no you don't have to you okay, can good. still live in misery <laughs> yeah if yeah, you want yeah. Yeah. if you prefer wow I mean I'm sort of I'm, gra- <laughs> I'm sort of holding on to the deep dark comedy within it that's going to yes. that's going to get me through it almost totally. if I read it. Or you can have the beautiful moving weeping juicing ending of the remains of the day yeah, which see, is, is an absolute literary masterpiece. Literary masterpiece. But I, I think there are some interesting links between our two choices. So um the remains of the day draws very heavily on my favorite novel which is The Good Soldier by Ford Mavis yes. Ford. 
And Ford was best friends with Conrad, who Ligotti writes a lo- a- oh. about a lot. Mm. And also, I think both Heart of Darkness by Conrad, which is which is in the Ligotti book, and also The Good Soldier, which is not in the Ligotti book, but could be, is totally relevant. I think they're both about like drawing back the surface of reality to see the nightmare underneath. So th- I think there is like at least a trickle of that in the remains yes. of the day. So mm. that like philosophically, they're not a million miles apart. Absolutely, because what he's really scared of, Stevens, all the time, is that thing. And the only way I'm going to cope with my life is to not let it out, not confront it, not acknowledge what's going on, mm. and then getting to the end of his life and thinking. Was it worth it? I mean, very similar to the themes in your book. Yeah, the conspiracy against the human race is so much about the ways that we distract ourselves and we look away and we build these very kind of brittle defences against the things all around us. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's there in both of them. I'll tell you what else I'm torn with here is that you've got a book that many book lovers will have read, will yes. already know, will probably say the same as you are both saying it's a it's an amazing book and then you've got this much quirkier lesser known non-fiction piece which is uh which is so different and and not many people will know it and it, it, so now i'm i'm sort yeah. of You're I'm torn, so, between oh, torn between absolute fame and niche niche yeah. area i've got to base them on the pictures really rather than the books because you know very occasionally i've i've read one of the books that's being pitched Right, based on the pictures, but also my feeling of what's going on in the world at the moment and how depressed I am (laughs) (laughs) by the news and by events and and just the general mood of a lot of people. I'm not sure I could do Thomas Ligotti. (laughs) So, but I'm just not sure I can face it. We might be like lemmings, all of us stepping towards, towards the, the edge. That, because that's it, just what he thought you'd say. <laughs> that's just what he's expecting I, from Ned, you. Ned, I think it'll push me over the edge. I think it, I, 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 so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the remains of the decade. I'm gonna go with it. All I'm right, well so done. So pleased. I, I, let me, I, let me tell you that is a close call, and also just being so different makes it yes. almost harder. I guess. Yes, but, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I am going to read that book now. Well, this True is, well, this is good. Sold it to me because. I've noticed in previous podcasts this is this is what happens. You know, the other guest will, will yes. if they haven't read the other person's book, will often say, "Wow, based yeah. on that, I've got to go read it now." And also, it's it is refreshing to read something you know a bit dangerous and a bit different and something. I mean, reading your book, I would never have chosen your book to read, and I've loved it. And I think so often when we choose our own reading matter, mm. you know, we're just given a free choice. I, I know that I mind this seam. I know exactly the sort of book I'm going to read left to my own devices. And I love it when I'm almost forced to read something outside of what I would normally expect. And it's nearly always rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both for, for joining me. And I wish you the best of luck with your new one, Ned, and Kit with yours, obviously. Thank you. And maybe we'll uh, see each other for another one of these sometime in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Return match. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for Book Off. Thank Thanks. you.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 